Well, good morning. It is a thrill to be here with you. I'm glad that all of you are here and starting off a new year of uh, Wellspring. And many of you are first time. Some of you have been around many times. And this is just going to be a great year. I'm excited for you to be here. What we're going to do this morning is look at the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church and how Wellspring fits into what the church is about. So you should have some notes that kind of have an outline for this morning. And we're really talking about two things, the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church and Wellspring, what it is and how it fits into that. When we talk about a vision, a biblical vision for Grace Bible Church, we simply mean thinking about God rightly, having an accurate view of God. And when we talk about a purpose, we simply mean living accordingly. So when you think about a vision and purpose for a church, we're talking about thinking about God accurately and living accordingly. What does it mean to think about God accurately? This is just a way to articulate what Grace Bible Church is about. And when we think about God rightly, we start with a, a view of God that implicitly believes the Bible. We believe what the Bible says about God. God's word is his own self-disclosure. It is his kindness in revealing himself to us. So everything you're going to hear this year is grounded in, comes from what God has said about himself. And no creature has any right to rewrite theology, to rewrite God. Stephen Lawson said it well, that God made man in his own image, and ever since we have attempted to return the favor. We typically try to fashion God after our own earthly carnal ideas, and we must always be reinvigorating our view of God with what God has said about himself. So a biblical view, vision of God, what are we focused on? What do we want to keep intentionally in front of us all the time as a church? A right view of God, a biblical view of God. And this demands the centrality of the Bible. It was Tozer who said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's true. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so that's true for us as a church. It's true for us as individual Christians. And we've outlined a way to think about God in some summary statements. The glory of God, the cross of Christ, and life transformation by the Spirit. That's a Trinitarian formula, if you're paying attention. Um, the glory of the Father, the cross of the Son, and life transformation by the Spirit. Let's talk first about the glory of God. When you think about the glory of God, that can be something of a Christian catchphrase, but we must start with God's intrinsic glory. That, that means what God is in himself. He is all by himself, if nothing and no one else ever existed, glorious. God's glory, his intrinsic glory, that is what is fundamental to his own being, is the sum total of his attributes. The sum total of all that he is. He is glorious. And his glory radiates out from himself. When we talk about glorifying God, the first and foremost participant in the glorification of God is God himself. And it's right and appropriate for him to do so. It would be totally inappropriate for creatures to bring glory to themselves. But it is right and appropriate for God to do so. And when we see the words glory in, or the word for glory in our Bible, there are two words that convey the idea. The Old Testament word for glory is the word kavod. It just means heavy. Right? We, we talk about someone throwing their weight around. 
or some issue is really heavy. Um, that's the Old Testament idea for God. He has a significance, a weightiness that just overwhelms everything else. And the New Testament word for glory is the word doxa, where we get doxology. And, and it just means light. It is the outshining radiance of the brilliance of who God is. And there are a couple of passages that combine both of these ideas, the weightiness and the outshining radiance of God's brilliance in light. But all of these things <clears throat> describe God's intrinsic glory, that which belongs to him and radiates out from him. That is God's glory. But we also must talk about ascribed glory. So God is glorious in himself, but it is possible for creatures to give God glory. Right? We talk about give God glory. We, I want to glorify God. What does that mean? We certainly don't mean we're giving God something substantially that he doesn't already have or something that he's missing. Right? We're not adding to the sum total of God's wonderful attributes when we glorify God. Ascribed glory is recognition of intrinsic glory. And, and when creatures glorify God, they do so from a finite standpoint and we fallen creatures do so from a corrupt and finite standpoint. And so our ascribed glory is never matching God's intrinsic glory, right? Even when Christians are glorified and sinless and can never sin and we're in God's glorious presence and enjoying the radiating beauty of the sum total of his attributes forever and ever and ever, we will still never ascribe to God the glory that is due him, the glory he is worthy of, or the glory that is in keeping with his intrinsic glory. Why? Because as finite creatures, just do the math, add one to one to one to a million to a million, you will never reach infinity. And so when creatures ascribe God's glory, we are in a sense reflecting back his intrinsic glory. It's like fame. It's like applause. And it's appropriate for creatures to glorify God. But we're not adding to his character or his being. We are simply reflecting back to him the praise that he is due. And then, of course, there is dispensed glory. God's intrinsic glory is that which is his all by himself. Ascribed glory is what creatures give back to God in praise. And dispensed glory is when God shares glory with others. Now, he doesn't share his intrinsic glory. Now, Isaiah is very clear about that. He will not share his glory with any. However, God glorifies others. When we talk about believers, the people of God in eternity, we talk about them in a glorified state. We'll talk about that next time we're in Wellspring together. To be glorified as a Christian means to be brought into the presence of God's glory and to be brought into the conformity of the image bearer of God, the second person of the Trinity, to be brought into conformity with Christ who is the image of God. And we who were created in God's image then brought into likeness to Christ. We will glorify God significantly when we ourselves are glorified. So when we talk about the glory of God, it's important to keep in mind all three of these things. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and have a look at God's intrinsic glory. 1 Timothy 6, 15. These references are all in your notes. 
1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 15, God is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. That's his intrinsic glory. The last part of verse 16, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. There is ascribed glory. A doxological statement as a reflection of God's intrinsic glory. At the end of Romans chapter 11, in verse 36, after the Apostle Paul has given 11 chapters of God's grace in saving sinners, he closes with the doxological statement, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And the phrase, to him be the glory, comes after the intrinsic glorious statement that from him and through him and to him are all things. That is what is true about God, and then his creatures ascribe glory to him. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's this really remarkable statement that the God who will not share his glory with any others has set out to glorify those who believe in him. Paul writes, but we all, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory or from one glory to another just as from the Lord the Spirit. And there we see the Holy Spirit here in this verse called Lord is actually transforming believers in this life in a progression from one stage of glory to another. Greater and greater conformity to Christ. So there we see God's intrinsic glory, ascribed glory, and dispensed glory. And the glory of God really is the starting point, the aim point of what a church must be of what a home ought to be, of what a Christian life ought to be. If your life is not about the glory of God, you have missed the fundamental purpose of the universe and therefore missed the fundamental purpose of your home, your life, your workplace, your school, the church. And that passion for the glory of God is going to lead us to the cross of Christ. Because frankly, without the cross of Christ, we have no message, we have no hope, we have no access to the glory of God in a way that would be good for us. The cross of Christ is what qualifies sinners to enjoy the outshining radiance of the sum total of God's attributes and not be destroyed. The grace of God and the cross of Christ is what allows us to experience glorification allows us to ascribe God the glory he is due and to enjoy God's intrinsic glory. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8, we read of Jesus, God in the flesh, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
How has God sought to get glory for himself? How has God sought out worshipers for himself to get ascribed glory, to recognize and enjoy his intrinsic glory? By sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross. He's done it through the humiliation of the second person of the Trinity, making him into the form of a servant, a, a slave willing to die a humiliating death in the place of sinners. And for that reason, God glorifies the Son so that the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. There is a connection between the glory of God and the cross of Christ, which gets for God ascribed glory and produces for believers the kind of glory that God transforms us into. Doxology is at the culmination of the doctrine of salvation. Why does God save sinners? Not because he was lonely. Not because he needed people to keep him company in heaven forever. But to bring glory to himself. To put on display the attributes of grace, mercy, holiness, justice. That are all part of his intrinsic being. That would not be seen apart from sin. And sin's payment. And forgiveness. And the bringing of sinners into his glory. God gets himself glory that way. How does the cross work of Christ relate to this glory? It is in the very nature of God to act in love on behalf of the unlovely. So at Grace Bible Church, when we talk about fixing our eyes on the cross, that is shorthand for fixing our eyes on the humiliation of Jesus his crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, his mediation at the right hand of the Father, and our anticipation of his return and reign. When he will be vindicated, and every knee bows, and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. To fix our eyes on the cross of Christ means as a church we focus on this very thing that brings God glory. The salvation of sinners through the cross of Christ. That leads us to life transformation by the Spirit. Without the active work of the Holy Spirit, everyone would still be spiritually dead. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not believe. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be washed of our sins. We would not be sealed for eternity. We would not be empowered for Christian living. We would not be enabled to fight sin. We would not be led to put to death the deeds of the body. We would not have love and affection for God, nor would we be conformed to the image of Christ. In some circles, it's uh, sort of common to emphasize the Holy Spirit in ways that misrepresent him. And in some circles, in reacting to that misrepresentation, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Listen, we, we ought not be pneumatological atheists. Those who don't believe that there is such a thing as a Holy Spirit. Those who live as if there's no Holy Spirit. No, we absolutely are dependent every day on the work of the Holy Spirit from new birth all the way to your home going. And so to be dependent on the transformation of life that the Spirit brings is critical to this church. Turn to John chapter 3. The starting point of the Christian life is new birth or birth from above. Regeneration by the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. He was called the teacher in Israel. 
And Jesus said to him in John 3, 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is the spirit. Don't be amazed that I said this. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And what Jesus is pressing with Nicodemus is something supernatural from above, from outside of you is required. And that something is a someone, the Holy Spirit of God, to bring a radical transformation of life. That is the beginning of the Christian life. If you have not experienced new birth, you are not a Christian by definition. That is the entrance point. And what the Holy Spirit produces at, at the initial phase of the Christian life is a repentance, turning away from sin in an old life and turning to Christ. It, he produces faith, a, a belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And what comes out of that initial work of the Holy Spirit is a life of work by the Holy Spirit to transform you progressively into conformity with Christ. We must have the Holy Spirit. You've got a number of other verses there uh, to, to look at. I'll just reference again 2 Corinthians 3.18. It is the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Spirit, who is transforming us progressively from one glory to another. So from day one of the Christian life to the day you go home to be with the Lord, uh, we are absolutely and totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was responsible for new birth, for washing, sealing, permanent indwelling, leading us to put to death the deeds of the body, Romans 8. He is also the internal witness to our relationship to God as Father. He is the one who cries out, causes our spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. We need the Holy Spirit for prayer. You and I don't know how to pray, but the Spirit prays on our behalf in accordance with the will of the Father. We don't get it right. We don't know what God's will is. We pray, we pour out our heart, and that pleases the Lord. And praise God, the Holy Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. Is there a relationship between the glory of God, the cross work of Christ, and life transformation by the Spirit? Yes, the intrinsically glorious God receives, receives ascribed glory for redeeming lost people by the cross of Christ. And he dispenses glory as he, by his Holy Spirit, transforms us from one glory to another to bring them to resemble Christ. I want to read to you from Octavius Winslow. and He's describing sanctification. He describes it this way. This is that internal righteousness, the work of God, the Holy Spirit, which consists in the subjugation of the mind, the will, the affections, the desires, yes, the whole soul, to the government and supremacy of Jesus, bringing into captivity, says the apostle, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then he gives this encouragement. O oh, you who are striving against sin, longing to be conformed to the image of God's Son, panting to be more pure in heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, think that in every step which you take in the path of holiness, in every corruption subdued, in every besetting sin laid aside, in every holy desire begotten, Christ is glorified in you. What an encouraging thought that is, especially if you've been thinking, oh, fighting sin is just so hard. 
Know that in the battle, in the struggle of putting to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit, you are bringing glory to God, bringing glory to Christ. You're actually uh, becoming an answer to Christ's prayer in John 17 that the Father would be glorified in His followers. Winslow goes on to say, You have thought of the glory of Christ, the glory that Christ receives from a brilliant genius, from a profound talent, from splendid gifts and glowing zeal, from costly sacrifices, even extensive usefulness. But have you ever thought of the glory, the far greater, richer glory, that flows to him from a contrite spirit, a broken heart, a lowly mind, a humble walk, from the tear of godly repentance that falls when seen by no human eye, and the sigh of godly sorrow that is breathed when heard by no human ear, from the sin abhorrence and self-loathing, the deep sense of vileness, poverty, infirmity that takes you to Jesus with the prayer, Lord, here I am. I have brought to you my rebellious will, my wandering heart, my worldly affections, my peculiar infirmities, my besetting and constantly overpowering sin. Receive me graciously. Put forth the mighty power of your grace in my soul. Subdue all, rule all, subjugate all to yourself. Will it not be for your glory, the glory of your great name, if this strong corruption were subdued by your grace, if this powerful sin were nailed to your cross, if this temper so sensitive, this heart so impure, these affections so truant, this mind so dark, these desires so earthly, these pursuits so carnal, and these aims so selfish, if they were all entirely renewed by your spirit, sanctified by your grace, and made each to reflect your image, yes, Lord, it would be for your glory through time and eternity. What a great encouragement. That the secret battle against sin in the heart that nobody sees is the first place of bringing glory to God. Not some big, extravagant missions conquest, but the conquest of rivals for the throne of Christ in my heart. That's the first place for God to be glorified. So that's a biblical vision of God. The way to think about God rightly. The glory of the Father contemplating the cross of Christ and being eagerly dependent on the transforming work of the Spirit. That's how we want to think about God in our church, in our homes, as individual believers. But that biblical vision of God, thinking about God accurately, doesn't just stay in some sort of theoretical vacuum. It leads to biblical living. It leads to living accordingly or in accord with who God is. How should we live? And we've articulated this as a purpose statement for the church to draw in, build up, send out. How does thinking rightly about God make us think about ourselves and each other in the church? To draw in means we simply want to see people come to know Christ, the God that we love. Building up means we want to see them grow and sending them out means we want to see them go tell others about Christ. And that's a cycle other, telling other people about Christ draws them in and then they are to be built up and they are to be built up in a way so that they can be sent out and that draws others in. By the way, it's how you got here. Somebody explained the gospel to you. You're being built up and equipped in Christ and you're to take the gospel to others. Let's fill this out just a little bit. 
This vision of God leads us to active, purposeful living as a church. We draw in. Drawing in starts for us with um, thinking about church membership in terms of regenerate church membership. So there are people who go to church, but there is the church. Those are two different things. People that have not been born again that come to a building are not the church. We're so glad they're here. We don't want to turn them away. But, but the church is not designed primarily for them. The, the, the model of church at Grace Bible Church is an equipping model based on Ephesians 4.12. We'll come to that. That means it is for believers. The church is for the church proper. Now, we love when unbelievers come. And a lot of you are bringing your little bundles of depravity. It's great. They're over there down the hall, and they're hearing truth, and they're being cared for. And what precious servants we have caring for them even now. Sunday mornings and all the rest. It's thrilling. And teachers prepare lessons for little rugrats to hear truth from before they can understand it. You don't wait till you think they can get it before you start telling them. You start telling them. Praise God for those servants. Only heaven knows the fruit that will come from all of that. Um, Many of you in this room perhaps heard the gospel before you could understand words. And God has brought that to fruition. Drawing in, though, means that for membership in the church, when we think about who is the church, um, we're thinking about people who have been born again. That's what defines the church of Christ. And so we don't make assumptions in the church. As we're drawing in, we we don't just assume that everybody that walks in the door is where they need to be with Christ. In fact, if we know anything about our own hearts, we recognize that everyone that walks through the door, including ourselves, has room to grow. We don't make assumptions about whether somebody has crossed the threshold of new birth. And so we're eager to have conversations with people. Hey, tell me, when did you come to know Christ? How is your walk with Christ? Are you walking with the Lord? Those are not threats. Those are invitations to open up the heart and talk with each other in ways that we will wish we had talked with each other in eternity. There's an overcoming of fear of man in that. But we want to generate a culture in our church that is free-flowing spiritual conversation. That's new for some people. Maybe that's new for you in this room. Wait, people are going to ask me invasive questions about my personal life before the Lord? No, that's private. My Christianity's private. No, your Christianity's not private. (laughs) And we need to learn to draw each other out in spiritual conversations. And so when we think about drawing in, even as unbelievers come into our assembly, um, we're listening. Do they understand the gospel? Oh, I want to engage in further conversation with this person and help them understand what we're all about and why we're here. We engage with them about the quality of their spiritual life. We're listening for surrender to Christ's lordship and obedience to his commands. It means that as we're drawing in, and even in our regular assembly, we have regular gospel meditations. We love to have communion every week, not because you have to. Right? Don't go to another church and say, they don't do communion every week, they're sinning. No, they're not sinning. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He did not say do it every Sunday. But we just like to. We like to think about the cross again from a fresh passage week after week after week. There's a danger in that that it could be rote and routine. We don't want it to be rote and routine. Uh, So bring your heart before the word of God every week. Hear the gospel again. Um, Turn from sin again. Rejoice in the forgiveness purchased by the blood of Christ again. Uh, That should never grow old. 
We love our songs to be cross-laden. Carrying the, the burden and the weight of the glory of God and the sinfulness of man and the only solution in Jesus Christ. Not every song we sing has the cross in it, but most of them do. And we like that. We love to sing about the cross. Membership process for us includes interviews with elders where elders ask, are you a Christian? When did you become a Christian? Tell me how you became a Christian. We want to protect the regenerate membership of the church, that what it means to be a part of the church fundamentally means being in Christ. It means in, in church we are, in one sense, the church of the bad news. Right? You're, you're not going to come to Grace Bible Church and get a pep talk for your life, some motivational speech to help you make it through the, the hard week. Um, you're actually going to hear about the human condition. You're going to hear about how awful you are, frankly. And how wonderful Christ is. And how God is transforming sinners into the image of His Son. Look, there's no hope outside of that. You go to a cancer treatment center, a world-class cancer treatment center where the experts are talking about cancer. Where they know about cancer. And they're describing cancer and they're producing remedies, treatments, cures for cancer. That's where you want to be. To be a sinner and walk into a place where they never talk about sin, no hope, no transformation. So we're the church of the bad news. We're also the church of the good news. And we want to proclaim that good news left and right all the time. It means an NGM, that's our next generation ministries, the kids' ministries and Wellspring kids. Um... Kids aren't Christians because they come with you to church. They're not Christians because they grew up in America. They're not Christians because their parents are Christians. You, you understand that. Um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nobody comes into this world a Christian. Everybody must be reborn. So it means the gospel's in front of the kids in all of our children's ministries. Turn to John chapter 6. We need to have a little bit of behind-the-scenes word on this drawing-in side of things, lest we be tempted to discouragement when our efforts go unmet. You moms, you know what it's like to care for little ones, and then they get bigger and bigger, and you put God's word in front of them. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, but you do not have the power to get them across the line into salvation. You don't have that ability. There is an agent behind the scenes, an ultimate agent in this drawing in that we need to keep in front of our hearts. Jesus said this in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And then down in verse 65. For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. What does that mean? That means no one has the ability to choose salvation, pick salvation, get themselves across the salvation line. And no parent has the ability to will his or her kids across the line. They come fundamentally because God the Father draws. Now that's scary, maybe paralyzing at first, but 
really liberating. If you think this through, if if the ability, if the if the demand was, kids aren't coming across the line of salvation unless you do it, mom. You will resort to every ungodly device to try to weasel a decision out of your kids. And it will not be new birth. Only God can produce the supernatural change that is required in the kids. Now, God uses means. God uses faithful moms who pray. God uses faithful moms and dads who put the word of God in front of them. God uses NGM workers. God uses the pulpit. God uses all kinds of things. And so we labor and strive. But we do so as Paul said. I'll do all things for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain eternal life. We, we understand the compatibilism of the New Testament. That is, my responsibility and God's sovereign agency actually work together. We don't even have to know how that works. We just simply have to acknowledge in faith that they do. So we pray, we labor, we evangelize, we do what we must do to draw people in, and we recognize even in that we are totally and utterly dependent on God who draws. That's helpful. It means we can follow God's script for how to draw people in. We don't have to innovate and make up new things because, hey, God's script isn't working, and it depends on me. i got to do something else. No, we don't jump ship. We do God's business God's way, and we trust him. And it also means that success in the church, success in evangelism, success in parenting, success in discipleship is not measured by the outcome. Right? We are so programmed to think that success is measured in the outcome. That's not true in spiritual things. Your success is measured by faithfulness to God's direction. To trust in God's work. To waiting on God's timing. That is success. That is what pleases the Lord. Building up. We, we want to draw in, build up, send out. What does it mean to build up? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I mentioned that we are an equipping model church. And I don't believe that's like one option among many. I do believe by conviction that's what the church must be. But honestly, it is not what most churches pursue in our day, in our nation. But Ephesians 4.12 tells us that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. God did not place John Anderson at the church to do ministry. God did not place Tom Mangstead at the church to do the ministry of the church. The pastors of Grace Bible Church are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry of the church. Eric Martin can't show up. At, well, he could, but he doesn't show up at your home and preach the gospel to your kids. He doesn't show up at the workplace and the school and the sports teams that your families are involved with. That's what you're for. You're to be equipped in the church and sent out. You are to be built up. What does that building up look like in Ephesians 4? Until we all attain to the unity, verse 13, of the faith. That means we're, we're, we're all believing the same things. We're all believing what God's word says. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Saints are to be equipped, not just to get across the threshold of salvation. Oh good, you're in, you got your get out of jail free card. 
but you're actually to be equipped to know what God says from beginning to end so that you have maturity as an individual and so the church collectively grows in its maturity. And what is the standard of that maturity? To the measure of the stature of the Son of God. That is conformity to Christ. And so the pastors will not cease laboring until that is done, until we all attain to that unity, all attain to that maturity according to that measure. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What are we to be? We're being equipped to grow in Christ. You, individual, and y'all, the church. We are to be discerning. We are to speak truth in love. Everyone's responsibility. Uh, To speak the truth in love means you actually have to know the truth. Love others with it. And then the corporate awareness down in verse 16. Your Christian life is not just about you. Listen to verse 16. From Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint of the supply, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's a mouthful. It won't take a lot of time to unpack that. But you need to know what brings about church growth. The church does. When the individual parts are working properly and when they're joined together. And when you as an individual Christian are not being equipped in your attaining to the unity of the faith, in your growing, in your maturity in Christ, attaining the measure of the stature that belongs to him, when you're not doing those things as an individual Christian, you actually subvert the growth of the whole body. The growth of the whole church depends on every individual part. And the growth of the church depends on us being together, actually being together, rubbing off on one another. When I'm growing spiritually and you're growing spiritually and we get together, there is a compounded effect of encouragement. The sum is, the total is greater than the sum of its parts, however that works. The math doesn't work in church growth. Your encouragement... Uh, spiritual growth at a level two and her spiritual growth in an encouragement at level two, two plus two equals seven and a half. That's how God has designed it. And then sending out. We, we are not to be like the Dead Sea. Jordan River full of nutrients and life flows into the lowest point in the earth in this basin that just collects salty water and everything dies. There's to be an outflow in the Christian life. There's to be an outflow in the church, not a stagnation, but a sending out. And this goes back to the very heart of what Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus gave instructions before he ascended to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A couple of clues that this wasn't specific instruction just for the eleven. Judas had defected, replacement not picked yet. Um, They were to make disciples who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The implication here is that the disciple-making disciples who made disciples of disciples and follow the chain all the way down to us 
are still to be making disciples until the end of the age, because Jesus is present with us in this with all of his authority, until every nation is reached. So the, the church does not exist in and of itself, and it does not exist for itself. It exists in its very DNA to multiply. And the individual Christian life is a microcosm of that. The individual Christian life is not designed by God for you to get forgiven of your sins, love Christ, and just keep it all to yourself. Every Christian is a disciple-making disciple whose task is to make disciple-making disciples. In the various spheres that God has given you, you are to see yourself as a sent-out one. And we think about our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, workplaces, and there are people who will spend eternity under the wrath of God unless they hear the gospel and believe the gospel. And if you go from Matthew 28 to Revelation chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but just recognize in Revelation 5, there is a, a scene, the throne room of Christ, where Jesus Christ is surrounded by concentric circles of worshipers. And there are the four living creatures, and there are myriads of angels, and there's a countless number of the redeemed from every tongue and tribe and nation and people. We get to fast forward. We get to see the end of the story. How does it end? Jesus surrounded by people from every nation. How did they get there? Romans 10 tells us people with beautiful feet took the gospel. God uses means. We are to be sent ones taking the gospel. That has implications for us as a, as a church. Um, you know, we've, we've sent our precious families to the mountains of Papua New Guinea to plant a church, to translate the scriptures, to preach the gospel where there's no gospel, no Bible, no church. And there are still many peoples and languages in that one mountain range still without those things, without the gospel, without the Bible, without the church. We must send more. Uh, we have a desire to plant a church in New Orleans, a city with very little gospel presence, and Omri is leading a team to do that very thing. And you've heard about our desire to plant another church in the Southeast Valley here. Uh, this has been in the DNA of the church, the draw and build up, send out. Uh, we never want to be in a place where it's us four no more. We like the way church is right now. You can feel this sometimes in your small group. Sometimes your small group isn't a small group anymore. It's a big group. And you lose some of the intimacy and the benefit of personal interactive conversations with everybody in the group and knowing what's going on in their lives and being able to care for them in the ways that you need to. And so your small group has to split. We don't like split. Multiply. And, and a co-leader becomes a small group leader and takes some of your best friends and they meet in another home on a different night of the week. And you think, oh, I don't want to lose my friends. I liked it just the way it was. We can't live that way. Um, eternity is too critical for us to make our own little heaven here and just work in every way that we can to preserve it. Church is designed to multiply. Disciples are designed by God from the Great Commission to multiply. So it means, um, do we want to send Omri to New Orleans? No. Do we want to send Omri to New Orleans? Yes. So how does Wellspring fit into the vision and purpose of God? Well, you need to understand, first of all, Wellspring is not a Bible study. Some of you have come from um, maybe other environments where there are women's Bible studies and women get together and enjoy fellowship and time under the word. Those are great. Um, you just need to know that's not Wellspring. 
Uh, th this is a, a different enterprise with some different expectations, um, and I believe some different outcomes. Um, Bible studies are wonderful. There are Bible studies on campus. The Titus study, the James study, those things exist. Um, there are places to be fed. Um, but this is a little different. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 is the one passage in the Bible that describes women's ministries. This is the one passage in the Bible that describes women's ministries. Titus 2 lays out something very specific. Beginning in verse 3, Older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. There's a lot of ways to do Titus 2. But Wellspring is designed to aim at this very thing. And if a church does a lot of things with women's ministries but never does this, it fails biblically. Wellspring, we believe, is a, a critical ministry because of its aim to do this very thing, to cultivate discipleship relationships in the church between women who have walked a few steps ahead of others in Christ and helping them to be lovers of Christ and lovers of Christ from the heart at the heart level in ways that spill out into their homes and lovers of their homes with God's word in ways that spill out into the ministries of the local church. That's the fundamental premise of Wellspring. And it fits in with this drawing in, building up, sending out. And you might say, well, wait a second. I want to study the nuances of the, of the new priesthood in the millennial kingdom as outlined in Ezekiel 40 to 48. That's what I really want to study. There's a place for that. But if we do that and not this, the church fails. The elders fail. The older women in the church fail. So um, there's some things about Wellspring that are different than a Bible study you just need to know up front. You might be thinking, what I really need right now is practical instruction about how to be a mom, how to get through the week, how to be a wife, how to improve this, that, or other aspect of my life. That would be short-sighted. I believe you do need those things, and I believe the Word of God gives really practical help for every single one of those things. Um, but that is, those things will happen organically, program, programmatically throughout the church. Um, but if we neglect the instruction laid out in Wellspring of the discipleship here in Titus 2, then we fail in God's directive for the church. So what is Wellspring? This is instruction and discipleship in the building blocks of faithful Christian living. The disciplines of self-shepherding, home shepherding, and serving others. Disciplines that we never graduate from, we never move on from. These are to become the basic fabric of our thinking as individual Christians and as members of the body of Christ. These are the same disciplines, by the way, that are taught to the men in BUILD, same disciplines that are reinforced in student ministries. They are, in effect, the warp and woof of life at Grace Bible Church. You will hear people talk about, if you're newer at, at Grace Bible Church, you may hear people say, shepherding your heart, and you think, what is that all about? Unfortunately, that can become sort of a phrase. Sometimes we lose sight of what it means. Um, we don't want to lose sight of that, and so we just want to remind us again, what does it mean to shepherd your heart? Uh, shepherds and sheep. Think about what shepherds do with sheep. Feed, lead, protect. Uh, there, there are other aspects to that care. 
When we talk about shepherding your heart, we mean you being in control of your heart. The heart, biblically, is the control center of who you are. It's your mind, your will, your affections. It's how you think. It's what you feel, which is always a result of what you're thinking at some level. And it is you getting a lasso on your inner man and saying, you will be subject to God's ways of living. (laughs) Thoughts, get over here. Get under the word of God. You're going to be squeezed into the mold of God's ways of thinking. That's what we mean by shepherding your heart. And and the fundamental principle of shepherding your heart and the fundamental discipline of shepherding your heart that you'll work through this year is bringing your heart under the word of God on a daily basis to meet with the God of the word. We're going to press daily Bible reading. You you need to read your Bible. You're going to be asked about, are you reading your Bible? Um, That is not a thing to, you don't read your Bible in the morning to check off a box. You don't read your Bible in the morning to win a theological argument. You don't read your Bible in the morning to learn a bunch of new stuff and, and be arrogant about what you now know that other people don't know. First and foremost, you come to the Word of God as an act of self-shepherding that says, I must put myself under this. I must know God, and my life must be conformed to His ways. That is discipline one. It's, it's the Christian woman's duty, delight, and discipline every day to bring your thoughts, emotions, motives, wills, priorities to love Him, to know Him, to know His ways. We never underestimate the value, the eternal value, of a woman who does that. A woman who does that in her own heart. A woman who does that in her home. A woman who does that in her spheres of influence. Bear eternal fruit. And I think the the role of women in church history is the great unwritten book. Some have made attempts, but we just don't see what, what moms do as they pray for their kids day after day, year after year. And we don't see the sacrifices that go into a woman who is living selflessly in her church. Those don't make the headlines, but heaven knows. Heaven records them, and eternity will bear it out. A woman cultivating a Godward heart is a force, a means of supernatural power and eternal influence. And it all starts with what you do alone before God in his word. By the way, you cannot be for a generation to come what you are not now here in the local body of believers. And you can't be in the local church what you're not in your home. And you can't be in your home what you're not at the heart level. That's where it all starts. How does Wellspring fit into the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church? Draw in, build up, send out. You women have a critical role in all of that. Drawing in people who don't know Christ in your spheres of influence and from your home. Building them up in Christ and equipping them to be sent out every day, sent once, leaving your home, going to their schools, going to workplaces. Um, and, and maybe some of you will send precious ones to Papua New Guinea or New Orleans or some other place that needs the gospel. Let me give you some expectations for Wellspring just to help you with this year. Uh, you're going to get a Bible reading plan. Uh, you're going to be expected to be reading the Bible. Uh, maybe you cover the whole Bible in a year. Are there slower plans? Can you do it? There are slower plans. There's a two-year plan. Um, the expectation is that you would read the whole Bible, every word. And if you want to stand out in the hallway and do that, you can do that too. Um, but you, you need to have the confidence that, yes, I've looked at every word in the Bible. I, I know what God has said. 
And nobody can trick me and say, God helps those who help themselves. It's in there somewhere. And you can say, no, it's not. I read the whole thing. <laughs> you need that. Your home needs that. And so the expectation is that you would do that. There's also homework with Wellspring. And that's a bummer. You finish school and you're like, homework, rearview mirror, never doing that again. And, and here you got homework. Um, I would apologize, but I'm not sorry. I, I, we, we see the fruit of it over years. That if you apply yourself to, and, and look, it, it's, it's kind of, um, it may seem formulaic. Like, here's this worksheet, and then here's this question, and I've got to put an answer because Wednesday I'm going to show up, and the discussion group leader is going to ask if I did my homework, and they're going to read it, and they're going to grade it, and they're going to be all critical. Um, this is an opportunity for you to put your own heart on display for you. In writing out answers to these questions, there's a sense in which you're pulling your own heart out of your chest and you're watching it beat in front of you. And you're articulating, what is my heart doing right now? You need to see that. You need to see that. And this is a benefit not just for you, but for those who will be in your spheres of influence. Because learning to ask good questions of others sometimes starts with being asked penetrating questions yourself. And just embrace it. There will be small group discussions. Um, you're going to be in a small group and people will ask you questions. You, you may have never been in a small group discussion in a church setting before and had people ask you about sin and motives. You, you, maybe you've lived your whole life being able to sort of just keep those in here and nobody needs to know about them. And the problem with that is sometimes we get the impression that I'm around Christian people and everybody's got it all together. And then everybody's a recluse in their own dark spaces and nobody shares anything and you're just left to yourself. That's not how the body of Christ is designed to be. You can't have help that way. So, out with it. Be bold. And if that's not natural to you to talk in a discussion group, your discussion group leader might help you, might draw you out. Um, they might work hard to draw you out. That's a tough skill. I would just say, be ready, be pliable, try something new. Talk about why you think about what you think. Out your motives. Because then the, the scalpel, that sounds harsh. <laughs> the really sweet transformative work of the Holy Spirit by his word can, can go to work. And you can see real life change. And you'll benefit. So I just want to encourage you to open up benefit from Wellspring this year. Let me close in prayer. God, we ask that all these things we just laid out would be the fruits of Wellspring for these ladies, that they would benefit, and the benefit would go far beyond their own hearts into the lives of those in their home, that it would go far beyond their homes into the ministries of this church, that it would go far beyond the walls of this church, reaching even to the ends of the earth with gospel witness for your glory. And we pray that eternity would prove that secret heart shepherding, subduing errant ways for your glory at the heart level would produce much fruit. We need you for these things. We ask you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. minutes Anne is going to come in um, and give us a little like Wellspring Kids tutorial. <laughs> um, so, oh, and she's right on time. Go ahead. After Anne on back. Okay. Hi everybody. Um, that side of the building is quiet. 
right. Believe it or not, we're having a great day so far. Everybody's doing well. Um, so I'm just here to give you a few reminders. Hopefully I didn't forget something, but I probably did. So please pick up your child or children as soon as possible after your discussion groups finish. That's super helpful, super important. Um, in your notebooks, you were given the well and sick policy. Please follow that. It's, and we, we know on our side, as you all know, it's crazy. If I was here two, three years ago, I would say the same thing. Be careful, be wise. If your kid's sick, don't bring them. Um, but now it's like on steroids. So, uh, yeah. Um, allergy alert. We are a peanut and tree nut free campus. Okay? So don't pack that for your kids because if, you know, we've got a child with allergies and he grabs somebody else's snack, which kids sometimes will do, we could have a problem in that. I don't want to do the EpiPen thing, okay? So let's just, and we do have kids this year that have that. So let's be super, super careful. Um, and I confess, I requested for the conference candy with, with peanuts in it and, and nuts. And thankfully, Rachel texted me. She goes, these have that. What are you doing? I'm like, she didn't say that, that's, but that's what she thought. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought. Um, and so instead so we had Hershey's Kisses. Okay, this part's important. Well, it's all important. So the children will, it, this is, Wellspring Kids is different than Next Gen. Your child, wherever we place them, that's where they stay. They don't, if they have a birthday, sing them happy birthday and we're done. Do not move them. Now, I may move your child. I may say, you know, they'd be better in this class or that class. It means nothing. Or if you feel like, wow, I think my child might be better being moved up or moved down, come talk to me. Depending, it's basically done by ages. So, um, but they stay. So, um, but again, if you if you have a problem, come go talk to Kim. Okay, <laughs> she's yeah. But no, seriously, if you want to move them or you feel like something might be better, let me know. Um, any questions, any concerns, let me know. Everybody will serve one time a year. Um, so, and my hope is we're really well staffed that I'll be able to send you back, but I can't guarantee it. So when, when it's your Wellspring Serving Week, bring your notebook and plan that you might be able to come back, so don't not do your homework, okay? <laughs> do it and be ready, but I may keep you. I, I kept the gals today, so um, if you have any questions, please come see me. Thank you. Yes, yes. How, how do you know if you're on schedule? What, it's Where, in the notebook. It's oh, in the notebook. Yeah. Schedule? Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, and if, 
Right. And if for some reason you're not able to serve on your date, please just reach out to, you've got everybody's emails, reach out and see if you can do a switch. Um, that would really help. So I think that's everything. Thank you, ladies. Have fun. And Um, okay, so do you want this? Ran, Ann. Okay, so I am going to try to give you guys some discussion group time today. I can do it, sure. So, exciting news, you might not know this. This year, Wellspring goes till 11.15. So, we had to beg and plead for 15 more minutes, um, but we got it. So that means we have a little bit more time for our discussion groups, which I'm super, super excited about. So um, I'm just gonna quickly go through, we call this like Wellspring 101. Um, just kind of quickly going through what Wellspring is. Sned said some of the stuff I'm just gonna say, so I'm gonna take that out, so we'll have even more time. Um, so, this year we're back to providing coffee, yay. Um, so I know a lot of you brought yours because you're like, last year we had to bring our own coffee. Um, there's coffee this year, so that's so exciting. We are not necessarily gonna do snacks, but if you would like to bring snacks to share with everybody, you're welcome to. Just to uh, echo Anne, no nuts please. Um, we are nut free even over here because sometimes the kids walk around afterwards and they can grab stuff, so no nuts. Um, also, if you wanna bring food just for yourself, that's okay too. <laughs> You just sit down and eat your breakfast. Um, so if you ever have any questions or concerns or anything about Wellspring stuff, you can come talk to Janet or I. We're available this year, um, and all of our information, contact information, should be in your binder. So what can you expect from Wednesday Wellspring? I know some of you have done Saturday Wellspring, so we're a little different. Um, and then there's some first-timers here, and sometimes things change. So Wellspring uh, begins at 920 probably the best thing about Wednesday Wellspring over Saturday. They start at 7 in the morning. It's very early. <laughs> um, so we start at 9.20. That means we start at 9.20. So we end at 11.15 and we're asking that you get here on time. Um, you can start dropping off your kids at 9.10. So if you plan to be there at 9.10, drop off and come over here. That gives you a lot of time to find your seat and get settled and then you don't miss anything. Um, but you can come earlier than that if you want. Um, there is coffee. You can stand around and chat and fellowship with each other. Come as early as you want, maybe after 8.30. <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone will be there to open the door before that. Um, but it would be great if you can make an effort to arrive on time. You know, we want to try to finish on time to respect the ladies over there. So we're asking you to come on time. And because of, unfortunately, the neighborhood that we're in, and there is a safety issue, after 9.20, the front doors are locked. So if you get here after 9.20, there's a doorbell all the way to the left um, on the front doors. Ring it and somebody can let you in. Um, and then also another reminder, TES classes are in session. In fact, on Wednesdays, there is a class that starts before we start and ends after we end. So we're just asking you to be mindful of that. Um, be a little bit quieter when you're walking past the classroom um, so that they can be focusing on all that they're learning. So. Um, on a normal Wednesday morning, we have teaching, just like we did today, and then we go to discussion groups. And I'll talk about that at the end. Um, there is a sheet in your binder that has 
which discussion group you're in. We'll talk about those later and I'll introduce you to your leaders and stuff like that. So um, we're going to talk about the purpose of Wellspring. So you're going to get used to hearing this a lot this year. Turn your notebooks over. Veronica did it before I even said it. <laughs> Turn your notebooks over. This is where we have our um, purpose of Wellspring, our Wellspring verse, and our disciplines written. Does someone want to read the purpose of Wellspring out loud for us? Aaron, thank you. <laughs> So Smed talked about this a little bit this morning, that the elders of Grace Bible Church really have a desire that the women be united with our understanding of what it looks like to minister to and to disciple one another towards Christ. And um, he talked about this, if, if you're over in NGM, if you're in your small group, the build ministry, um, Titus, James, the trust, everything that we're in, we're all united in our thinking, and we're all learning the same things, and we're all... Um, living the same things, we're all hearing the same things, we're all encouraging each other in the same things. So for that reason, um, the elders have requested that Wellspring be an eight-month commitment. It used to be a nine-month commitment, so got off easy there. <laughs> um, so the lessons build on each other. It's really important that you come and you listen to them and you do the homework and you stay committed. And um, Often, like we're talking about making a commitment here as much as it depends upon you. We realize kids get sick, you get sick, your husband wants to go out of town, those things happen and that's totally fine. But we're talking about a commitment as much as it depends upon you. And so I'd like to encourage you to go before the Lord and ask him to help you, to pray, to ask him to help you make that commitment. That everything you can, by God's grace, so to get all that he has for you in Wellspring this year. And so you need to plan to be here. And um, it might mean getting your kids ready the night before so Wednesday morning isn't rushed for me. It means putting all those dates in my calendar. Um, it means not making appointments on Wednesday mornings. It means getting my Bible out the night before and my notebook so that I'm all ready to go. It means doing my homework not on the night before. Um, that's a big one for me. You have two weeks to do it. Don't leave it to the last minute. So we're just asking you to make a commitment to see it through. And if you miss, you're probably going to get a call or a text or an email from someone who misses you, maybe your discussion group leader, maybe a friend. And that's really just because they care and they just want to know how you're doing and if you're okay. So if you do miss, we want you to come back. You, you need to come back. Um, we want to keep reminding ourselves that the goal here is to get what the Lord has for us, which is to grow. Um, so that we are equipped and that we grow as a church. And that's going to happen best when we're consistent in our participation, um, in listening to the teaching, in being involved in discussion groups, and in doing our homework. So um, take a look at the front of your notebook. The name of this ministry is Wellspring, which comes from Proverbs 4.23. Um, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In a few weeks, maybe a few months, um, Jacob Hantla is going to come and teach an entire lesson on Proverbs 4.23. It's a really great one. It's so encouraging. But just really quickly, I'm going to explain. So a wellspring, what that word is, it's the head or the source of a spring or river. So it signifies continual supply of something. So 
when Proverbs 4.23 says that our heart is the wellspring of life, it's saying that all of life flows from our heart. What is our heart? Our heart is the inner man, the inner person. It's you. sums up who you are. We all have our outer man, right? Our hands and our fingers and our mouth. But we're talking about our inner man. And there's nothing that comes out of us that didn't first reside in our heart. It's kind of a scary thing to think about sometimes. Uh, the heart is the source of all of our motives, our will, our intentions, our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our opinions, our priorities, our emotions. Everything comes out of our heart. Um, so on the back of your notebook, flipping it back over again, we have our three disciplines written. Discipline one is the heart. Can I get someone to read that out loud? Our first discipline. Thanks. Thank you. So we must shepherd our hearts, and Smed talked about what that means this morning, to the word of God to get to the God of the word. So that part's really important. Discipline one brings together two essential aspects of shepherding our heart. In the beginning of, our, of that discipline, you see it says, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God. So um, Hebrews 7 and 10, we're not going to turn to all these passages today just because we don't have enough time. But Hebrews 7 and 10 talk about drawing near to God, and that's what an aspect of shepherding our heart is. Hebrews 4.16 says, drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace, and of course, to our Savior who sits on that throne. James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then Colossians talks about setting our mind on things above. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. And then Hebrews 11.6 talks about seeking God. Hebrews 12 says to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Psalm 16 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. So you can see on your notebook, if you look at your discipline, that discipline one doesn't end with shepherding our hearts toward God. That's an aspect of it that's very important. But we're to shepherd our hearts worshipfully through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So it's important that we remember that. Um, and we're here to encourage each other this year uh, to grow in being women who draw near to God through the word of God. That's how we do it. And I think often we can get this idea that a person has drawn near to God because they have a certain feeling or um, a particular set of circumstances they feel like God is speaking to them. But we want to be really careful of that. And we want to go back to God's word each time. And we know that the world says that God's word is not necessary. Um, but even sometimes the Christian world can say that God's word is not enough or we don't really need that. But those are lies and we don't want to listen to those. We need God's word. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 4. We are going to go to this passage today. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. It's probably really familiar for some of you. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. And this is what 
God has to say about his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word of God is what pierces and penetrates our hearts. And that is why we shepherd our hearts toward God through the word of God. And as we read, as we spend time in God's word, as we bring our hearts before his word, we must worshipfully draw near to him. And that's what we're aiming for. And we want to grow in that. We're all growing in that. No one has arrived. We want to grow in reading God's word prayerfully, worshipfully, relationally, transparently, and we're all going to encourage each other in that all year long. So we aim to seek to read God's word with a love for God, with a fear of God, and really with an awareness of our need for God. We want to meet with God when we're in his word. And um, like Smed talked about this morning, reading God's word is a central emphasis in Wellspring, and we're going to talk about it a lot. Um, and we're going to talk about reading all of our Bible, like Smed talked about. Um, but I want to point out, we're not just aiming at getting it done. I like to make lists, and I like to check things off of lists. But that's not what this is. We don't want to just check that box, okay, read my Bible, move on. Um, we're, our goal in reading the Word is to get to Jesus. So let's not be content to study and read our Bibles without it affecting our hearts, right? Um, so as we read God's word, it's really important to seek to understand what the original author meant for the original audience. We want to ask questions like, what does this say? Why is it here? How do I apply these truths to my life? Are there commands? Are there warnings or promises that apply to me? Um, we want to seek to understand what that author meant and what he's telling his audience. We don't want to ask questions like, what do I think this means to me today? Um, we're not looking for mystical meanings. We don't try to read between the lines. Um, and as we do that, we learn more about God, right? We want to learn about his character. We want to learn about our character. <laughs> um, we want to learn about the character of sin and how to do battle with sin and the sweetness of salvation and about eternity with Christ. So one of the biggest things that we're going to learn and we'll hopefully grow in <laughs> is how the gospel spurs us on in joy. Um, we want to have joy and obedience in every season and every circumstance of life. And we are all in different seasons and different circumstances. But if we're not consistently in the word, or if we're not seeking Christ when we are in the word, it's kind of hard to come alongside each other, right? And to, to help each other and to point each other to hope. Um, if we haven't been bringing our hearts to the word of God, to meet with God, to know him and to hear from him, to grow in love of him, to worship him. It's hard to come alongside each other and encourage each other. But if we are seeking Christ and we're growing, we have much to give. Um, and wouldn't that be so sweet? <laughs> because we've been with Jesus and we have, um, I always think of Jamie Siegel. She used to be here in Wellspring and she used the term an aroma of Christ. And I love that. We want to have an aroma of Christ because we've been with him. So, we must be women who shepherd our hearts worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So let's talk about the gospel. 
throughout the year, you're going to get some resources, um, some helpful resources regarding the gospel. Um, and in years past, I didn't check, there's been a link at the bottom of your outline from today about uh, a sermon that Smed preached. Is it not on there this I don't know if it's on there this year. Um, that Smed preached on what the gospel is. If it's not there, I'll send you all an email with it. So then you can look it up if you want. Um, be really helpful to listen to. So the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. So God is the holy, omnipotent, all-powerful, sovereign creator and judge of the universe. And sinners, that's me, that's you, um, every single human being that has ever lived, all have rejected his right to rule over our lives. All of us have rebelled against the sovereign creator of the universe. And God hates sin. And we are sinners. And we're not primarily sinners because we do bad things, right? We do bad things because we are by nature sinners. But the gospel is that God saves sinners. It's good news. So we are saved from something, we are saved to something, and we are saved by something. This might be very familiar for some of you, but I think it's really good to remind ourselves of this truth on a regular basis. We're saved from sin, right? We're saved from sin's consequences. We're saved from Satan. We're saved from this anti-God world system. We're saved from ourselves. I need to be saved from myself. And ultimately, I'm saved from God himself because we must be rescued from God and his hatred of sin. Because like we said, we are by nature and by activity sinful, and God hates sin. So we must be saved from God and his wrath against our sin. So we're saved from something, but we're also saved to something. So the good news of the gospel is not simply that we get our sins forgiven, that is very good news, but we get God. We get the treasure of the universe, the one from whom we were created, the only one who can bring joy and satisfaction and delight. And we are saved to God. And we are saved by God through one and only one thing, the substitute death of his son, Jesus, on the cross as payment for our sins. God, by the substitute death of his own son, Jesus Christ, took the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him and placed it on his son and punished it to the fullest so that the guilty go free and get to be with God forever. And that's the gospel, and that is good news. So, in Wellspring, we're talking about being women who faithfully shepherd our hearts toward God, through the word of God, being impacted by the gospel, that truth that we just talked about, at our heart level, and then letting that impact every area of our life. So let's talk about the next area of our life, discipline two. You can go back to the back of your notebook. Does someone want to read discipline two? Allie, thank you. So as women, it's important to understand the spiritual influence we have on our homes. A godly woman places a priority on influencing her household with her heart for Christ. So we see the people we live with more consistently than anyone else. And we want to make it, we need to make it our priority to bring Christ and the gospel to them. Back to those words, being an aroma of Christ in our homes and making an impact there. And there's a lot 
that scripture has to say about the home. So whatever your living situation is, is, like I said earlier, we're all in different seasons and circumstances. Whatever situation you're in right now, it's God's training ground for you. So if you're single, how you influence your household for Christ now is wonderful preparation for your future, should it change one day. And if you live alone, this prepares you to make an impact on those that you invite into your home. So if you're married or you're single, we all have a profound opportunity to display Christ. Uh, discipline two is not really just about those that live in our homes. Oftentimes it can reach beyond the immediate people that live under our roof to family members that we're caring for. It could be aging parents or adult children. It could be grandchildren. It could be siblings. Discipline two includes taking the time to invest in those relationships. And if you live alone, discipline two is probably going to overlap with our next discipline, which is ministry. As you seek to make your home a place that's fruitful for the building up of the body of Christ, because we want to make Christ known. So discipline two is about growing as a woman who has a heart for her household, who understands the value of work and relationships and opportunities in her home. And discipline two is not just a season of life. We can't think like, oh, I'll get past this one day. Discipline two is still all about our hearts. So in the New Testament, Households are noted for hosting and serving churches, extending hospitality, training children, teaching the gospel, instructing in sound doctrine and godliness, and refreshing the saints in prison. So our homes are really important to God's work in the church. And we have a responsibility, and we have an opportunity and a privilege to use our homes that way. And we don't want our homes to be a hindrance to the gospel, but we want them to bring honor to the word and be useful to the church. So, to reiterate, the faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. All right, discipline three. Someone want to read that? Thanks, Susan. With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry in her home of priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of life to shepherd us Thank you. So if your heart is full of God in Christ because of the word of God, that's discipline one. And you're caring for your household with your heart for God, that's discipline two. Then you will be prepared to minister to people in the body. So are we saying that only focus on discipline one and then once you got that mastered, you can move on to the home and then we don't ever think about our hearts again? Definitely not. We can't do that. So the same thing applies to ministry. These disciplines have to overlap. They take place at the same time. You can't say, I can't be involved in ministry because I'm still working on one and two. So, no, we need to be caring for people in the body. But there needs to be a priority in our thinking. Our thoughts need to be, I need to shepherd my heart. I must not play leapfrog over my household relationships while I care for people in the body. Um, in Acts 6, we're not going to turn there, but we learn about a serious need in the church. They needed help distributing food to widows in the church. And the apostles saw that they needed co-laborers to be identified and to meet that need. So in uh, Acts 6.3, they instruct the church to identify men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom. So that's what was needed for men that were going to oversee the care of widows and their physical need for food. 
the apostles didn't focus on their skills or their personalities. They were concerned with their character, what kind of men they were. So in the same way, the body of Christ needs us to be women who believe God's word, practice God's word in the shepherding of our own hearts and in our own homes so that we are equipped to be fruitful in our ministry with others. And that's why our leaders have put these disciplines into place, to help us establish those priorities. So if your heart is full of God because of the word of God, and we're caring for our households with our heart for God, we will be fruitful in our ministry to others. It's important to understand what we mean by ministry. Sometimes ministry includes a specific role or task, right? Like, I'm on the vacuuming team, or I serve in NGM, or I do front lines, or set up. Those are roles in ministry, but ministry is significantly broader than that. Ministry is really a mindset, a heart attitude, of being eager and purposeful to live every aspect of life as a slave for Christ. It's understanding that we're not our own. He purchased us with his precious blood. We're not slaves to sin. We belong to Christ. And that affects all of our lives, right? It affects how we think, how we listen, how we speak, what choices we make, how we use our time, what decisions we make, our work, right? We're living as those who are joyfully available to serve the Lord whenever he gives us an opportunity. So I, I encourage you to pray for God to make you effective in ministering to the body and to those outside the body. All of us should set these disciplines before us and ask God to make us women that he wants us to be for bringing him glory. So that's an overview of the disciplines. I realize it's kind of a lot and it's kind of fast. And um, we're going to cover these disciplines every week. We're going to get really familiar with them, which is fantastic. Um, I might even give you a quiz on it later this year. <laughs> Those of you who've repeated are like, oh, I know we do that every year. Maybe not. So let's open your notebooks. We're going to look inside now. We're done with the front and the back. Much of what's inside is pretty self-explanatory, but if you have any questions, please ask. Um, this is where, <coughs> sorry, you can keep your outline notes and your homework when it's returned um, and any resources that are passed out um, during the year. So if you're missing something or if you feel like you should have gotten a notebook and you didn't or something, just let me know afterwards and um, we can get that figured out for you. So Bible reading, Smed talked a lot about this this morning, so I'm not gonna rehash everything he said, but the, the desire of Wellspring Ministry and the desire of our elders <coughs> is that we all get into a routine of reading our whole Bible. And um, we need to be familiar with more than just our five favorite books of the Bible. We can all kind of do that, I know I do. I have some favorite ones I wanna go back to over and over, my favorite chapter, my favorite verse. Um, but we need to be familiar with the whole counsel of God. We need to know Moses is God because he's our God too. And we want to see how God interacted with his children a long time ago because it helps us to know God. Um, we need to feed our hearts with all of God's word. Uh, the Bible is full of illustrations and examples, Paul says, for our instruction. And we need to be full of the Bible. That's how we're equipped, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the New Testament, and that really will enable us to take care of each other better because we're familiar with God's word and we know it. And we won't be able to be in God's word if we don't plan for it. 
And um, we all know that life happens, but we would like you to make it your goal. And it might take longer than a year to read through the Bible. That is okay. We just want to make sure that you're reading God's Word. Not to check it off your list, like I said, but to meet with God, to learn of God, and to be equipped with His Word. So that's why we need to meet with God in all the books of the Bible. So, what happens if we don't finish reading the Bible in a year? You're not getting kicked out of Wellspring. <laughs> but won't we still have discovered more about God if we hadn't tried? <laughs> um, won't we still grow from reading, with meeting with God in his, in his word if we finish in like 18 months or two years or three years? Yes. So, persevere, keep going, and as you do, God will continue to reveal himself to you from scripture. Um, Psalm 119.103 says, His word is sweeter than honey. And it really is. And the more we feed on it, the more we understand and the more sweeter it becomes. So, when we're thinking that we just don't have time to meet with God, maybe it's a good time for us to reevaluate, right? If meeting with God in his word is his priority for us, then I think it should be our priority too. So we've all had seasons where it's more challenging. I remember I had little kids a long time ago. So if you're in one of those seasons where it's challenging, ask someone around you. How do you make it a priority in your life? That's what we're here for, to help each other. But I want to make sure that I don't say things that aren't true. I don't want to say, I just don't have time. Or I can't make it happen today. I want to be honest. I'm not taking the time, and I'm not making this a priority. And I'm making something else a priority. Oftentimes for me, it's sleep. That's what I struggle with. So we're here to help each other with this. There's encouragement and hope to be found when we're honest with each other about what the real source of our struggle is. And God's grace is sufficient to grant us repentance and to renew us so that we do grow in our consistency. We're not talking about perfection. We're wanting to grow. That's what we're aiming at in meeting with God and his word. So, struggling with your reading plan is not a reason to quit Wellspring, please. <laughs> Don't give up struggling. Keep fighting. It's worth it. This is just going to give you more of God and his word, and that's what we need. So, an assignment we have for you is to pick a reading plan. There's a bunch in there. We'd like you to get started by September 1st. If you already have a reading plan, don't stop doing it. Um, keep going on with whatever you're doing. We just want to help you all be in some sort of a plan to be reading God's word. Um, but if you don't have a reading plan, in the back of your notebook, under the resources tab, um, there are several options to choose from. You can choose one. You can also like look online. There's so many online. Oh, you, okay. Yeah. Yes. I believe, I will double check, I believe they're all online. Um, on the Wellspring tab on the website, there's a, a section that says resources. I believe they're all there and you can get them. Again, with the email that I'm sending with Smed's link, I'll include that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, and you can search online for Bible reading plans. Um, there's even like apps that have Bible reading plans that will send you a notification, which is sometimes helpful. Today you're supposed to read this. And um, you know, so find something that works for you. I like to cut mine out and like use it as a bookmark in my Bible. Um, my Bible actually has a reading plan in the back of it. So maybe check the back of your Bible. I didn't know that. That's what I'm doing this year because I thought that was interesting. 
Um, so one of them back there is a two-year plan. So you know, do what works for you. But the point is not the plan. The point is the purpose of the plan, right? It's to meet with God, to draw near to him, to see his glory, and to get into the habit of doing it. So like Smed said, in addition to Bible reading assignment, you're also going to have homework assignments each week. They'll be handed out at one lesson and then due the next time. So you have two weeks to complete your um, homework. Um, we ask you to turn them in just for some accountability so your leader can get to know you better and keep praying for you. The homework's really not time consuming. They're mostly self-evaluation questions. There's not right and wrong answers. You're not going to be graded. Nobody uses a red pen. Don't worry about it. Um, but give your answers some thought. Really think about it. Answer honestly. It's just going to benefit you more. Um, and it's not something to feel uncomfortable about. But if you have any concerns, feel free to talk to Janet or I. Um, and the homework really matters because we're evaluating ourselves. We're evaluating our own hearts. We want to see what God has done. We want to grow and change. We want to apply the gospel. So before you start your homework, pray. Ask for God's help. Ask for him to increase your desire to know him and love him. This is not meant to be something academic. Don't get bogged down in that. Um, so typically after our teaching in the morning, then we break up into discussion groups. Uh, I have that list should be in your binder. Looks like this. It printed out so, so tiny because there are so, so many of you. <laughs> we were trying to get it all on one page. Um, I was so surprised when it came out and it was so small. So. I'm going to introduce your discussion group leaders to you. I didn't tell them this. Sorry, guys. Um, so when I say your name, if you could stand up, um, just so everybody knows who you are. So Julie Kelso and Bethany Sitton. Yay. They're going to be meeting at these coffee tables over here, right in front of where we serve coffee on Sunday mornings. Uh, and then Erin Britton and Kendall Azeltine. And they're going to be, I had it written on there, the near side of the worship center. And then I realized not everybody thinks like I do. This is the near, like near to where we are side. <laughs> Sorry if that was confusing. Um, and then Julie Conover and Liz Jackson. And they're going to stay in here. So if you're in their group, you guys don't have to go anywhere, which is kind of awesome. And then Michelle Kyle and Adrian Jones. Okay. And they are on the far side of the worship center, which is far from us, near to the front. I realize that's confusing. I apologize. So um, if you notice, Janet and I are not in a group this year. Um, so we're going to be floaters. We can just fill in if somebody's got sick kids or can't be here or whatever. Um, and we're just going to go around and visit the different groups. So we might pop in, which is kind of fun, because then I get to know all of you a little bit. Um, so we are so, so excited about this year. I hope you are, too. We're excited to grow. We've been praying for you all. I don't know. Um, so anyways, let me close in prayer. And then you, oh my goodness, you have 15 minutes in your groups. That's so exciting. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that proves true again and again and again and is rich and is full and is what we need to bring our hearts to on a regular basis. God, increase our love for your word. Increase our desire to learn about who you are from your word. Father, I pray that this year is one that is full of growth, that we would desire to seek after you, to hear what um, you would have to say to us through your word this year. God, I pray for growth. I pray for humility, for teachability, that we would grow in our love for each other, that um, the body of Christ would be built up because of this year 
Father God, thank you so much. We love you. Amen. All right. You can go find your groups.